Listener Production. Automotive commentator and journalist Greg Rust, and this is Rusty's Garage. For this episode, I'm in Melbourne. There has been a lot of requests for this guest to come on the pod via the listener contact page and socials. Thank you very much for those messages. We opted to wait and do this one face to face, and I'm so glad we finally got that opportunity. Jim Richards is a legend in the proper sense of the word, not the overused sporting adjective it's become. If you ask former teammate Mark Scaife, he'll tell you that Jimmy is one of the greatest touring car drivers the world has ever seen, and it is a very fitting description. Jim's career began in his native New Zealand and would ultimately see him lured to Australia, where he's been ever since taking that big step with a young family in the early 1970s. Jimmy's CV is seriously impressive. He has driven all sorts of iconic race cars for the biggest names, teams and manufacturers. The list of wins would take us most of this episode to get through. Suffice to say, he's been successful in just about every car and category he's entered. There are seven wins in the famed Bathurst 1000, four Australian touring car titles. He's raced NASCAR, Super Touring, GT Production, chalked up a staggering eight victories in the Targa Tasmania Rally, was the inaugural champion in the one-make Porsche Carrera Cup Australia, and his name is on the Touring Car Masters Trophy too. Jim Richards and the JPS Turbo BMW. Now, we won't get to every car and every story, but this is a nice rounded conversation on the career of a hard racer they call Gentleman Jim, and it was an honour to do. Fittingly, we recorded in his workshop, sitting round some special machines he cherishes. The Hall of Famer's passion for cars and bikes runs deep and has done for 60 years. I started off in go-karts, like in uh, my early teens. And uh, in New Zealand, you got your licence when you were 15. So uh, I was interested in all things mechanical. My father was a mechanic. And um, it was just a natural progression from, from carts to, um, to cars. So I bought, a, I, I didn't buy it. My parents helped me buy a little Mini. It wasn't the first car I had, but the, the Mini to, to go and do some sprints and, and racing. And the first time I went to a sprint, um, guy said, oh, you got a Mini? I said, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm you, they're expensive to maintain. I said, really? <laughs> uh, so he said, oh, no, yeah, because all the, all, all the engine, any debris or carbon shit drops into the sump and into the gearbox. I said, oh, okay. So anyway, to cut a long story short, 105E Anglias. I, I traded it in on a 105E Anglia because uh, they were absolutely bulletproof. And so I started with a 105E Anglia and started off doing hill climbs and grass tracks to get my licence. You had to do a sprints, hill climbs, you're marked off, and uh, then they'd give you a license if you did a good job. Uh, so I got the license, went to Pukekohe for the first race. I'd done a couple of sprints before, obviously. The first big race at Pukki, and um, I started in the all-comers race. So it was whatever you brought along, you could race, as long as it passed, you know. I love it. Run what you brought. The scrutiny would put his foot in the, foot in the car and push the brake pedal. <laughs> if it had a brake pedal, you're right. right. <laughs> um, 
Our first race, I think I come second to last. But I was I was the 105 the Anglia against 327 Zephyr-powered Corvettes, Corvettes-powered Zephyrs, and oh, you name it, it was incredible. Uh, and just got interest that way, yeah. I, I have a friend in New Zealand now who runs a, a three-quarter midget at CQ. Yep, yep. Now, I might be joining the dots a little early here, but but did you walk past this go-kart shop as a kid and, and the owner perhaps raced TQs yep, or something along yep. those lines? And did you get a little part-time job there or something? Is it- yeah, no, I used to come home from school to get, and get the bus to go to Weymouth, Manure is where the work was. Um, and every time I walked past, there was a cart, go-kart in the, in the window and... Um, you couldn't buy go-karts completed then. You just had to make it yourself or get someone to make it for you. And so the regulations and the carts were pretty, you know, pretty, pretty ag- agricultural. But uh, yeah, I used to run in there. I only came out one day and said, oh, we're interested in go-karts. So I said, oh, yeah, no, no problem. <laughs> so I said, oh, well, you know, come, come, come down and sweep the floors and that and uh, I'll give you a bit of a work to do. So I did that and he ended up, he, he actually raced TQ midgets at Western Springs mainly. And um, so after that, I, when I got a bit older and left school, I got an apprenticeship and worked with, uh, with Brian Yates. Called, the business was called Speedway Auto Service. And uh, that was great. So I served my time there. They were, the, him, and, him and the other uh, young apprentice were into the, into the midgets. They sort of poo-pooed the cars. <laughs> and I poo-pooed the midgets. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so we had a good thing going. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was re- re- really good. And that's what really got me into them, you know. I'm with you now in your workshop, surrounded by some cool cars. Did you know the the Anglia was all the prep being done by you after hours? Just stitch all that together for us and how how you we worked on the car. Yeah, no problem. I mean, I didn't do much work on the car because it was, it was just as I bought it, yeah. I took it in the first race and raced it. <laughs> and I had a, a Weber carburetor on it and an extractor, and as time went on, um, I ended up selling it and buying another Anglia off a guy that was already modified quite reasonably and quicker than mine so uh, I sold mine and bought his and um, continued on from there but I did all the repairs myself either at work or at home in the garage my dad helped me and um, yeah so I did do the engines up it's quite funny you know we'd have it we had a box of engine bearings big end bearings and main bearings yeah. and we'd take the motor out take the sump off take the take the conrods apart Look at them. Yeah, bearing doesn't look too good. Empty our box of spare second-hand engine bearings <laughs> on the ground. Sort through them. Oh, that one looks no, no micrometers or anything. That, that, well, that, no, that, 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 yeah, that look good. Yep, put them in. So we put we put them in, bottle it up, and away it would go. I love it. Oh, just pure, <laughs> pure, purely by sight and what you yeah, what you had yeah, to. Uh, yeah. But the little cars intrigue me in in this phase of things. Firstly, what. What sensation did it give you? It might have been a little car and under a thousand cc or whatever, whatever it was. But you clearly hustled them. And and was it the competition or was it the car? What was it that gave you the the immediate buzz? I think just driving the car. Yeah. I just loved driving the car as fast as I could. Uh, you know the tyres we were on when, when we were racing. We were on five twenty thirteen <laughs> Firestones, and I started off driving on retreads, so they're an old casing. You know, buffed off and the case put on, because that was uh, is, is all I could afford. But uh, a brand new set of five twenty thirteens were about uh, three inches wide. <laughs> uh, but but of course, everyone else in the race was on similar things because yep. there wasn't many racing tyres for thirteen inch Anglias at that time. Yep. Plus, you couldn't afford them. Yep. But um, the the, the I, I was always sort of a tail out man because the car naturally 
slid because it hadn't bugger all grip. So I, I, I sort of I was recognised for car control, going around champion and f- you know, fully opposite locked and tyre smoking and carrying on. And uh, it just it didn't matter where you were coming. There was always someone to race. Because yeah. if I was coming second to last, there was a guy behind me who was last and a guy in front of me who was third to last. You know? <laughs> but I only sort of started uh, you know, getting better um, when I had the chance to drive a car for another chap. Can we, can we talk about that? I, I, I'm wanting to say we're leaning towards the NPR. We're, the Hill, are we, are we leaning towards the Hillman Imp? Is that what you're talking about? Well, the, the Hillman Imp and, and, and the Ford Escort. But for a starter, um, a friend of mine had a Hillman Imp, and I only knew him through car racing. And um, he uh, would come to the races on, on Saturday for practice and everything. He was Mormon, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a Mormon. And uh, I'd never seen him on Sundays. And I said to him one day, what? Why, why aren't you, did your car break down? He says, no. Uh-huh. I said, why aren't you here? So I'm of the Mormon religion. Yep. And uh, I can't do anything on Sundays. I can, I, can, I can come here and watch, but I can't race. I never knew why. I didn't ask him why, you know. But anyway, he said, um, why? Do you, do you want to drive? I said, yeah. At this time, I was racing Ford Escorts and stuff as well. Yep. And, and I'm an Arab in, in, in production racing. So I said, and he, he was going midfield, but he was absolutely particular in pre- presentation and preparation. He just had the car, looked like a million dollars, went fantastic, ultra reliable, which a lot of the Hillman's weren't. And so he gave me a drive and I won the first race. So, my God, how's that, how, how long's this been going on? You know? <laughs> so from then on, he brought it to the races and I drove it for him. But the same race meeting, I drive the NS or Twin Cam, the Hillman Imp, and the Monaro in production races. Great days. Yeah, oh, hell yeah. You'd load the Escort on the trailer and tow it home with the Monaro. <laughs> Great days in racing. Can we can we finish off the discussion on the Imp if we can? I think that car is actually at uh, the Highlands Museum at yeah. Cromwell, so people can see that if they're in New Zealand out of, yeah. out of Queenstown yeah. there. Some great old pics of you hooking that thing up with the maybe yeah, the inside the wheel off the, the, the deck and so on. What, what are we... Um, what are we talking horsepower-wise? And what about the safety features? I looked at I looked at one picture, and I thought you may have, may have just had like a lap sash or something really simple. What was it like back there? Well, back there you didn't have to have any overalls, and um, I'm sure there was no roll cages in. Wow! I mean, any of the cars I drove, there was no roll cage. You just drove it like it was, you know. Um, but the Yimp, I think, I think it's, it might have had a full harness, but I'm, but but but. but I don't think so. Somehow, I think I think we were slap sash, and, wow. and uh, you know. Yep. But um, that was the days when you you didn't realise that they weren't safe. Yeah. You just yeah. hey, that you want to race my car? Here it is. Race it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. But, but great days, you know. Like everything you you you, you earned, you spent on your car. Same as today, but you know, in my day, and when I started. You know, you spend uh, 20 bucks on the car, and now you spend two grand. Yeah. <laughs> I want to spring forward a, a little bit here. You and I, I think, spoke at a at an historic event in um, at Hampton Downs in New Zealand some some years ago, and it reunited you. Or we talked about the the Rod Coppins car at Bathurst 1974. Tell me about that that year, that car. I think it was only meant to be a, a once. It was your first time at the at the mountain, and it wasn't um, 
wasn't as though it was part of a long-term plan back then to to do all the Bathurst that you subsequently no, did, no, was no, it? No. So, to be honest, we didn't know much about Bathurst. You know, we, we knew it was Bathurst, we heard from someone talking about it, but there was hardly any motorsport books, you know, so you didn't have articles on it until later on. And uh, eventually, we, I knew about Bathurst, and I drove with a guy called Rod Coppins, who was a friend of mine, a good friend, uh, in the Benson Hedges six-hour race, which is for... New Zealand assembled cars, okay. nothing else. So we, we ran, well, I, I ran in a Cortina, a, a Triumph 2.5, um, what else, an XW Falcon, and uh, Chargers. And the Chargers were six-cylinder, three-speed auto. <laughs> but but, they, were, but they, they, they were one of the quickest cars that was assembled in New Zealand. Awesome. So it was going to be, so Rod and I won the Benson Hedges race twice. And um, and we remained friends because he was raising a Pontiac Firebird and that, and then I had the Mustang eventually. And so we were good mates. And um, he said one day, he said, oh, would you like to go and have a drive at Bathurst? And I said, oh, yeah, it'd be fantastic. He says, I've, uh, I'm going to buy a car and going to run. I says, yeah, but I, I can't afford to go. I've got a family and, you know, just got my first mortgage. Uh, he said, don't worry about that. I'll, I'll fix that up. So I said, yeah, be great. So um, as New Zealand does, uh, we had a, a, a group of about 20 Kiwis who came over with us, not part of the team, but the support team, you could say. Yeah. But funnily enough, the, the car was delivered, L34 Tirana, the car was delivered to Fred Gibson's workshop, Road and Track Services. And I didn't know who Fred Gibson was at that stage. And um, one guy was sent over to prepare the car, a guy called Jandals. You know Jandals? Yes, I do. Mark, yes, I do. <laughs> Mark Sheehan. With, with a bit of help, bit of help from a few locals that you know, sort of seen that we were struggling and came and gave him a hand. And he prepped the car in road and track autos. And uh, when, I, when we landed in Sydney uh, to go to the race, uh, I was introduced to Fred. Oh, hi, Fred. How are you? Hi. Yeah, hi. How are you? Yeah, I'll have a good time. And he walked off to go to Bathurst, I suppose. We loaded the car up and went to Bathurst. And it was a year that um, I think Harry had developed a, a fancy dry sump, wet sump, but semi-dry sump parts to it so that it would actually hold all your oil in a, in a can. Uh -huh. and the, but anyway. and talking about Harry Firth there yeah, too. Yeah, Harry Firth. And he had an electric pump and it pumped the oil from the sump to the, the tank and then fed it in right under the pickup. Okay. But of course, during the course of the race, the the, the electric pump fried itself and, and, and so most of the, the contenders, well, two, two or three of them, broke down. And we'd, we'd, uh, we'd got there and qualified, I think we qualified sixth or eighth and ended up coming third in the race. And uh, we thought, Jesus, that was ridiculous. like the morning of the race. It was raining. We didn't have any wet tyres. Yeah. And so we had to, Jesus, we had to go down and get some tyres off Firestone or anyone that's got them. So he scrans around, and, and, and there was some. I'm sure it was Firestone or Dunlop, one or the other. Anyway. Um, and the guy said, Oh, I've got, I've got four left. There's two intermediates and two wets. <laughs> I said, We'll take them. No problem. So um, we, we took him, and obviously we didn't rain all day, rained in, in, in parts, but towards the end of the race, um, the, the cars were like wounded, ours was wounded, had no, no, no front brakes, brakes they'd yeah. worn through the, the backing plate, sp spewed all the fluid out, 
So all we have is back brakes, and you, you couldn't start to stop it. But uh, we were still lapping a lot quicker than anyone else earlier on, you know. And um, we had, had a really, really good race, and uh, got third. And um, of course, the, the party and carrying on. We stayed on the on the on Conrad Strait at Bathurst in the scout camp. Yep. There was a scout camp there before. <laughs> and it was a big, long dormitory with about 50, 50 bit bunks in it. But no, no one, no, the Kiwis knew each other, but well, the Aussies were there too. We were all having a carry on. And um, so the ne- next year, Rod said, oh, we better come back again. You know, we got third the first go, we won't come back again. So we did, and uh, I think we had a, had a failure of some sort. Clutch, I think, but we finished the race, I think, but uh, we were, didn't come anywhere. But you were hooked. But, from there, but, yeah. But, well, I, I was hooked, but of course, I I, I would I couldn't go over because I had no dollars. You know, yeah. at, uh, I think my wage was on a, on apprentice mechanic was five pound eighteen. You know, and you had to I had to pay a loan for the car and a loan for engine bits and stuff, and uh, <laughs> but you made it work. Mm. You know, it's uh, you know, it was the way way it was those days. It was probably an eye opener for you too. I think you talked about it being. You know, it's very different to, to the Bathurst that we know now oh, with its upgrade yeah. in, in facilities and probably barbed wire yeah. and simple fences yeah. and so on. I think that year, didn't you witness a uh, an incident too? Was it Rod McRae going down going down the street? You've been battling the pair of you yeah, two yeah. for some time. We, we've, been, we've been sort of battling for about bloody 10 laps, I reckon. Mm. And, of course, he had he had brakes left and I didn't. So I would catch him up over the top of the hill and around the, the things and then I went down the hill slowly, then down Conrad, I could blast down Conrad, but I had to stop at the, at the last sort of hump to slow it down. Yep. And uh, every time we went down, the, I'd get away from him over the top, we'd get to the straight, and he'd pass me. And this particular time, he, he, he pulled out and passed me, and he got just in the front of me and then pulled into the left again, but right into a massive big puddle on the edge of the track. And he spun infield and then barrel rolled across the track but off the ground and hit a tree, an old um, mongrel dead tree with a floor pan. And the back of the floor pan was by his head. Oh. And he got a, he got a cut on his cheek or something. That's it. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Incredible. Amazing place that would become, um, you know, you'd become so linked to it for such a long, long period of time. I think you gradually, I'm, I'm fast forwarding a little bit here, Jimmy, but, you know, for example, a, a win in New Zealand might have paid you yeah. 200 bucks, yeah. but the appearance money over here was significantly more, wasn't it? So you, you you would ultimately come here, but what was the point where you went, righto, we could make a real go of this and move Faye and move Stephen yeah. and the kids to, to, to come to Australia? Well, we're only coming for one meeting, and that was at Sandown, and I'd rang Sandown up and asked them, if, if I could have an entry and I told them my, my car doesn't pass the Australian sports sedan regulations mm-hmm. because it's got wider wheels on it and uh, Ian McKnight the president of the light car club then said um, no no that's okay I can we can get you a, a, a conversation to run for one or two or three meetings I said well, I'm only going to be here for the one meeting so that would be, be good anyway so we shipped the car over but mind you before that happened he, he said um, we discussed the entry and all that sort of stuff and I was just ready to hang up. And he said, um, oh, by the way, how much money do you want? <laughs> if you're listening in Melbourne, you'll know it's getting colder. Any tips for defrosting the car faster? I know, I know, if you're in a Tesla, you can preheat the car. I am but a humble robot, and Rusty certainly doesn't pay me enough for that. 
Sorry, Rusty. Can we talk? Iconic Mustang. Um, firstly, a minute ago, you, you rattle off some great names there in in, uh, in Bob Jane and Frank Gardner yeah. and people like that. Among the circuits that you had competed at in New Zealand, from Lady Wigram yeah. to Levin to others, I mean, the, the Aussies have been over there on occasion and you've been able to go wheel to wheel with them. So yeah, you yeah. had a fair old benchmark, didn't you? Oh, yeah, we knew we'd be competitive. Um, uh, like like Janie, Terry Allen, Bob Jane, Norm Beachy. Um, who else, who else, who else? Frank Gardner had all been over there. We had a great promoter, race promoter called it, Peter Hanna, mm-hmm. and he ran Bay Park Raceways, yep. right? Yep. Mount Monganui. Mount Monganui, yep. yep. And uh, every Christmas they had a meeting at, on the December 28th, right close to the new year. Yep. And so he would pay for a certain amount of cars to come over and race against us. And they would do, normally they would do Bay, Bay Park, then they'd go the next weekend was our International Grand Prix for Tasman cars. So they'd stay for that. So they'd do two two races. And, uh, and, and Moff, would, Moff would go more regularly than anyone. Okay. I think they must have been paying him a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we competed against them and, and beat them and they beat us. And But we were right you know, in the firing line of winning races. Yep. And so I'd, I, I knew those drivers just from saying hello and how you going type of thing. So we knew we'd be competitive if we went to Australia, we thought. But we had to go back onto the 10-inch rims, which we thought might be a drama. But it turned out that the uh, the Firestones that, that I was running were, weren't that good a tyre anyway. And in Australia, they developed a cantilever sidewall. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the tyre was 13 inches wide, but the rim was 10 inches wide. So a cantilever sidewall. Yeah. So the tyres were better than the ones we had on the Mustang. <laughs> <laughs> the car itself, um, it was, I mean, there's... Great yarns that spin off it in all sorts of places, and it's a famous car that, that people love. Did it start out life in um, Monaco Motors and Sir Colin Gilltrap, and, and you know, well, yeah. that was one of his early sort of projects, wasn't it? No, exactly. Well, <clears throat> I worked for a guy called Jerry Clayton, Jerry Clayton Car Sales, and he was an Aussie who'd come over and uh, teamed up with Colin Gilltrap and Neville Crichton. And Colin was a, was a dealer, and he had, I think, he had every franchise known to man in New Zealand. And um, so they, they were, had an interest together. And um, when we went to, uh, to Sigtrome to ask them for a budget to run a car, um, uh, Phil Mark was the guy's name. He was the, uh, the director of the, of the advertising agency and he handled Sigtrome's account. And we already had some sponsorship off Sigtrome, but very, very minor. I'm talking $500. Okay. Yeah. You know, that, that was massive yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the Hillman Imp. Yeah. So anyway, we, 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 we went through a series of escorts and won the championship in the, in, in the class uh, and competed against the outright cars, but we weren't competitive enough most of the time. So we decided to, um, to, to build a Mustang because the Mustang's what was winning at the time, but were driven by Paul Fay. Mm-hmm. And we were, sort of, we were sort of Ford guys in a way. We didn't really care, like Monaro's, Ford Falcons, GTs. But um, we just thought, no, we'll build, build a Mustang like Paul's. So anyway, we said, okay. And um, Phil Mark, the guy, the advertising executive said, um, well, I'll, I'll put together a little proposal for you. Um, uh, how much money do you want, though? You better tell us how much money. <laughs> thought, oh, hell. Um, I hadn't really thought of it that much, you know. Uh, I said, I'll give you a ring tomorrow. So I went home and discussed with Murray Bunn, my, my good friend, who, who built, built, built the cars with me. Yeah. And uh, he said, oh, well, you headed it up. 
He said, um, I reckon I need 12 grand. A lot of money. A lot of money then. in those days. Yeah. But So with, with, with the 12 grand, uh, we had to buy a car. We didn't have a car. Then modify it to go racing and then look after it for a year. So we had some, you know, some smaller sponsors, but you're talking, you know, not a lot. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Sitcram said, yep, no problem. And um, so we started, I mean, we went to Giltrap Monaco Motors, had a, I think it had 5,000 miles on it, um, a Boss 302 Mustang Yellow. Awesome. And it was just, just like brand new. And we took it to a little shed on a farm of one of Murray's friends because you had to be out, out of everyone's view. Okay. Because, you know, when you're building your car, you don't want anyone to see what, what you're yeah. doing on it, yeah. <laughs> whether, whether it's Mickey Mouse or right or wrong. Because right? you don't want them to see it. You don't want them, them to get a, get a foot ahead of you. And so we built the car in this little barn and, and all that. And the first, the first um, guys that it was in was all red with a big Citroen down the side of it. The motor was where it should have been in the, in the, in the front. And it was a fantastic car. And um, so we started running that. <clears throat> but we never really knew how good the car or I was going to be. And, uh, and I was tentative. The first time we took it out to test it at Pukekohe, uh, we had oil tank, oil tank in the back, dry sum system, yep. and we had dash 12 hoses, which most cars had. Yep. And um, so we started it up, no problem, took it out on the track, went around the track, and, and up the back straight, which is the same back straight as we've got now, but no chicane. chicane yeah. Went on the back straight, and the oil pressure went from 60 down to 30. Bloody hell. What's wrong there? Anyway, I came in and said to Murray, the oil pressure, everywhere else is fine, but when you, when you rev it up and go down the straight, the faster it goes, the less oil pressure you've got. So, oh, shit. He said, we didn't have anything really that much out there to, to, to fix anything. But he said, I know what it is. We should have run a dash 16 hose instead of a dash 12. Um, I reckon I can prove that's the case. So he said, I'll, I'll flick the oil tank out. And it was hot because it would just come in, in, in the boot. He said, I'll, um, I'll take it out and we'll mount it inside the car. And uh, <clears throat> I said, well, we've got no, you know, got nothing ready to do it. Uh, okay, leave it to me. So he shortened the dry sump line up. Instead of being three or four metres long, we got it down to a metre long, right? Yep. So we said, well, we can't mount it anywhere. He says, don't worry. He says, and he went to his car and had an old blanket. <laughs> so, 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 so he got a blanket wrapped around the, the hot oil tank and he sat on the floor of the car because there was no seat, no, you know, no, no yeah. and uh, he held on to the oil tank like all, for all, all his worth. <laughs> and I, I went down the, around the track and had to go out flat out down the back straight to make sure the oil prints wouldn't be. <laughs> and so we got out there. I, I was only was worried as buggery because if anything happened, he was he was dead. Yeah. And um, so I did. The oil pressure kept coming up. Beautiful. So we just. Uh, Fixed that by putting the oil tank in right next to the dry sump pump. And we had a, 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 um, an air equipped line from the dry sump pump to the dry sump tank. It was only one foot long. So I did all the, all the oil that I needed. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love the... Um the Kiwis have this this sort of homegrown ingenuity thing about them. They can, they, they yeah. can do in, in an engineering and mechanical sense, aren't they? Oh, no, they're really, you know, really, really, really good. But mind you, Australia has too. But, you know, the Kiwis, you know, they were they were... Innovative because yeah. you couldn't buy anything over there. Mm. You know, sure you could buy everything, but not in motorsport. You know, you you'd have to order the stuff from the states. It would come by a boat. So you know, you'd have to order. The, I ordered the first tyres for the Mustang, 
and I'd never driven on a slick, but I'd just ordering order some slicks. Now, normally now, we go and, go and race, let's say, Touring Car Masters, which are similar sort of cars, and we have six brand-new tyres per meeting. Mm-hmm. Well, when I ordered the tyres, I ordered four front, sorry, two fronts, two rears, and a set of wets. That lasted me the whole year. <laughs> because they're quite a hard tyre. Tyre, yeah. And, and couldn't afford to, to have two or three, four or five sets. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you did what you could with what you had. Yeah. <laughs> Great car that... that um I think you had for, for something like six or seven years, didn't you, in yeah, the end? Yeah, Where, What What, in the end, what other things had you done in terms of modifications to it that you were proud of? Because you guys were so hands-on with it. And where did it end up? Well, it ended up a chap in New Zealand who sort of collects a few cars and stuff who we know. He bought it off uh, Jerry Clayton because he owned the car. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's still in existence today. He semi-restored it, so it's ne- nearly like it was when we raced it. Amazing. But uh, we, 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 we built them to the regulations, and the regulations in Australia at the time and New Zealand said that you could, you could remove the motor back one foot mm-hmm. into the car. So he hacked the floor out, moved it back, mounted it, and that, so it handled better and it went a bit better. Yep. Uh, and then that became the car that we brought to Australia. The motor moved back, different, different colour scheme, okay. but it, it, it sort of ruined the car because it was just a cut with a hacksaw or a thing and just a hole in the firewall to put the motor back in. It, was, it wasn't pretty. <laughs> I'll let you have a sip of your, um, your, your cup of tea there. Um, what was the, the camaraderie like with, with some of the Aussies? I mean, you talked about meeting Frank Gardner and Bob Jane and what were the early sort of recollections that you have of, of people like that and was it beers after the races? What was it like? No, it was fantastic. And at Sandown, <clears throat> the very first... Uh, competitor I met uh, we arrived there we'd unloaded the, the car and we were tinkering around the car and Gary Rogers walked up oh fantastic he walked up to us and said Jim is it I said yeah yeah Jim is Gary congratulations mate welcome here terrific yeah, yeah. and he had his, his, his then girlfriend or wife with a little Pekingese dog <laughs> <laughs> and uh and uh, no, he was the first guy. And funnily enough, we've been great friends ever since. But we don't go, you know, like I don't see him sometimes for a year. Yeah. But uh, you know, he, he financed me into a car because I, I didn't have any federating, so I couldn't buy anything. Um, so he, he, yeah, he, he did things for us that we couldn't have done without. You know, amazing and amazing how few people have crossed as motor racing does cross yeah. paths with yeah. you over the years. What about the? I mean, you would you would end up racing for Fredo and for the factory Nissan team and so on. What about the early recollections of Fred Gibson? Well, Fred, I mean, I, I, I sort of knew to, to nod to yeah. um, because he was running in, in the, 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 the Datsun Bluebird and I was, I think I was in all sorts of other cars, BMWs and this and that, and, but didn't know him at all that well. But um, the only time I really had a conversation, decent conversation with him was at Bathurst in 1988. So just virtually the year before I joined him. Yeah. And he said, um, I was walking at the back of the pit, which is different now, obviously, and he was walking and coming the other way. We had broken down and he'd had a drama as well, so we were both just plugging along, you know, look, looking around. And he said, oh, Richo, he said, you know, call him Richo. Uh, he said, um, what are you doing next year? And I, at the time I was driving for Brock in the BMWs. Yeah. And uh, I said, oh, I don't know. I, it depends what Brocky does. If he, if he gets two cars, I, I can probably drive there. He said, um, give us a ring when you get home. I've got a, a, a um, proposition to put to you. I said, okay, no problem. He gave me his number. 
So when I got home on Monday, I rang him up and said, uh, he said, oh, hi, Jim, how are you? And I go, good, good. I want you to write for me. Straight as that. Yep. <laughs> and he said, uh, how much is it going to cost me? And I said, oh, Jesus. I said, I wouldn't have a clue. I haven't ever thought about it, you know. <laughs> and um, I said, look, give me a, a chance to think about it. And I said, how do, how do we get paid? Do we get paid monthly, weekly? Do, do we get the prize money? No, all you, I want to pay you. And I know what you're earning all season. So there's no muck, mucking around. We win, we lose, whatever. That's the amount of money. So I said, I really don't know, Fred. And he said, well, he said... Um, this is back. This is back in '88, mm-hmm. right? He said, um, "He said I'll give you a hundred grand." And I said, "Okay." <laughs> 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 and of course, yeah, yeah, you know, if, if you, I, I drove with them from '89 uh, until uh, '90. After the Winfield Commodore year, yeah, Winfield would have been '95 or '6. Amazing. And um, as we got to be become good friends over the over the over the, uh, the years, um, you know, we always tell the story that Fred you know, cost Fred a lot of money to get me. I said, I said, I said to him, "Yeah, but you don't realise that I would have driven for half it." <laughs> <laughs> when when Faye and Steve came over and, and the the kids and so on, um, you know, big mission. They obviously had to, yeah, yeah, to pack yeah. up pack up the home, and I think you guys rented that out, and and you came here. You know, in the moving of different teams and driving for different people, was there ever a doubt about staying in Australia? Was there ever, ever moments where you went far out, we might have to pack up and go home, or was it always, you know, from the from the time you got here, fairly fairly certain? Well, it wasn't certain because uh, we had to be competitive. We had to have a sponsor to pay the bills, and we managed to do that just pay the wages, pay the housekeeping. We sold our house in New Zealand, and we rented, rented out for the first year. Mm-hmm and then sold it and then we bought a house similar yeah. price here so yeah. we um we but, but for motorsport it was better, a lot better in australia you had more chance of of making a dollar a living mm. but but you didn't mm. but you thought you did at the time <laughs> uh, in australia then it was new zealand so it was a better place to be but um had like at one stage i sort of semi not retired but thought oh i'll, I'll sort of you know, i won't bother when we had the sports sedan mm-hmm. the falcon sports sedan that was built in new zealand for us we had no money to operate it you know it was it was a and it was owned by uh jerry in new zealand and um you know, i thought then <laughs> maybe that, that that's it but at the time i had the drive with the brock at bathurst 78 79 mm-hmm. 80. In 81. Which were pivotal. Which were, which were. Which were. Um, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd had to go in my own car at Bathurst and it just cost a lot of money and you know, broke down and then sponsor pulled out and left me with a trailer, no truck to tow it with, <laughs> no money to, to, to do anything with. So I ended up um, I ended up going into a Bob Jane T-Mart with my cousin. Yep. We, um, we approached Bob to, to, to buy some a few tyres off him in the T-Mart structure, yep. we were going to we were going to start a little service station because we we're both mechanics, yep. and uh, yeah, that's that's a good idea. Ralph, my cousins said, who would come over to you to, to check things out. If we get a little server, we can sell a bit of petrol. I said, I said, I know Bob Jane reasonably well. We can ask him if he'd supply us some tyres. We can sell some tyres, do some things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I said to Bob at the racetrack one day, listen, my my cousin and I. Uh, thinking of going into business in a little service station. We were wondering if, if you could supply us and we could buy some tyres that have a good price off you. 
He said, what are you doing? I said, well, we're, my, my, my cousin's a mechanic and I'm a mechanic. Uh, we thought we'd run a little little, little workshop service station with a, with a couple of petrol pumps and sell some tyres and stuff. He said, come and see me next week. <laughs> As only he could do. <laughs> and, and, and with lots of expletives. But, you know, <laughs> uh, but, but I knew him from competing with him and against him on the racetrack. Didn't, didn't really know him socially, mm-hmm. but I always had a, a time for a beer after the race, you know, after the right meeting had finished yeah. and that. And uh, anyway, so I went and Ralph and I went into to, um, Chetwin Road, I think it's Chetwin Street or whatever in Melbourne, where the head office was, and um, walked into his office and sat down. He says, uh, well, what are you guys here for now? I said, well, we're thinking we want to buy some tyres off you. He said, uh, what are you going to do? And I said, we told him again what, what we planned, planned. And he said, no, nah, forget it. You don't want an effing... Garage, so, uh, yeah, you, yeah. Want a, you want an F and time to t- team up. <laughs> and we said, Yeah, but you know, we've got no money and we just want to start up small and get a few tyres here and there and just make a. He said, No, 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 you've got to have a team up. Well, you, well, your cousin, what's his name? He knew you a bit. Ralph, Ralph, yeah. Ralph, next week, go into the city team art, tell Terry that I said for you to come in and start working there. And uh, Jim, you just keep you doing what you're doing, race your cars, make around, and in a couple of months, we'll see where we are. And we still didn't know really what, what the deal was. So Ralph went and worked in the city team art, and I kept pouncing around the cars. And within, within uh, oh, a month or two, Bob said, look, well, you both know what you're doing. Ralph was a salesman type of thing. I, I was a, a salesman with no experience. <laughs> and um, he said, I've got a team art for you. I said, what? He said, well, he said, come and, come and see me again and I've got a contract and we can sign the contract and you can go into the team out and sell, sell some tyres. And uh, Ralph and I looked at each other and said, well, we, we, we better get the contract checked out. He said, no, go, take it, take it, check it, get anyone to check it out. So he got an accountant to look at it who I'd, who I'd had a bit of um, business with in, in the past. And um, the accountant took one look at it and said, no. No, no, no! Don't don't sign this. You can be out on your ear at any time with no money, no nothing, and all that. So, oh shit! So anyway, we had a meeting with Bob again because we had to meet him whether whether it was yes or no. Mm-hmm. We had to tell him. And um, so we went to his office and he said, "Right, how'd you go?" I said, "Shit, Bob, we we went and got an accountant to to look at it, and they said don't sign it. It's 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 all one sided." And he leaned across the desk and said, give me that contract here. And he took the contract and he said, uh, you see this contract here? And we said, yeah, yeah. I'll sign it. You guys sign it. And he leaned down and picked the, the drawer, yeah. pulled the drawer out. And he says, well, put it effing in that drawer and we won't think about it again. <laughs> I said, we've got no money. How much can you get? And so I, I scrounged up five grand and Ralph got five grand. And he said, we've got, we got $10,000. And Bob said, okay, give it to me. And every day when you count up the tally for the till, spend what you have to spend on wages on Thursdays. He said, you can lease a car each, but don't, get, don't go crazy. And in the morning when you get to work, bank every, every penny in my bank account, this company bank account. And we said, 
He said, well, that, that way you're working, you'll eventually pay it off. He said, it sounded too good to be true mm. because we were going to use his premises, his knowledge, his tyres, we're going to sell them. We had to pay rent, of course, back to him because we were, you know, yeah. everything. thing. And um, so away we went. When we, we made the store the, the, the most profitable and the biggest, biggest turnover in Victoria and then Australia. Amazing. Yeah. But, but then, of course, everything got bigger and bigger and bigger when, yeah. we, got, when we got out. But, but, but in, a, in a life sense, that was very important to you, oh, wasn't it? Oh, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now if it hadn't been for that. Mm. You know, there's lots and lots of stories that, that Bob came into. Like, he, he, when the guys in New Zealand wanted to sell the Falcon Sports sedan, Bob asked me, why aren't you at the racetrack these days? I said, I can't because the car, the guy, the guy who owns the car won't let me race it because, and I'm the same, mm. case it gets damaged or anything, it'd be worth nothing. Mm. He says, how much do you want for it? And I said, uh, 25 grand. He said, come and see me next week again. Like that's the third time he said, come and see me. <laughs> went, in, went in to see him. He said, here's a check. Put it in the bank and pay your man and keep racing your car. Amazing. Yeah. And then, of course, when we sold the, the car, I, I, I gave the money back okay. to him. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sort of makes me wonder that, I mean, it's such a professional game now and you've, you've come through the professional era as well, but were a lot of things handshake up until yeah. that time? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he never bought the contract out again because we were successful. Yeah. <laughs> Had we been, you know, going, going down the tube, he may, he may have. Yeah. But uh, no, he, he was a, I mean, a lot of people know him for what he, you know, for his hard, hard case yep. acts and not a very nice guy sometimes. But uh, he was nothing but an absolute gentleman with the, my dealings with him. Yeah. Fear, fear is anything on the racetrack. But because him and I had a bit of a love-hate relationship going, no hate, all love. And... Um, I was sort of part of his business in a way as well. That's the end of part one of my long overdue chat with racing great Jim Richards. He has been incredibly good with his time and I'm thrilled to actually be back in a workshop recording again. Don't worry, we're not done yet. There's lots more good stuff still to come. Part two is ready to go right now in the Rusty's Garage Library, so hit that start button whenever you're ready. There is a funny yarn about a road trip over the Nullarbor with Peter Brock, a classic line on the radio when Mark Scaife rolled in Adelaide, memories of racing BMWs and Godzilla, the Nissan Skyline, plus the competitive benchmark he set himself that was like a line in the sand for his time in the Bathurst 1000 and supercars and the generational love of racing in the Richards family. Listener.